The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm Dave Hennessy. Our guest today is Joe Deal, the CHRO of Log Me In, a top 10 SaaS company, software as a service. Joe and LogMeIn are in the business of remote work, and they eat their own cooking by using virtual technology to facilitate their global culture. Also, Joe and her team created another very interesting tool just for the benefit of their employees. You'll enjoy hearing about that. And now I bring you my discussion with Joe Deal. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to have you. Good to be here in the awesome LogBian HQ, which is uh, recognized for its great environment as a workplace. You've heard good feedback about that from I have. employees. I and have. Yeah, we here. have we have great offices yeah. all over the world. Um, it's it's very deliberate plan, um, and it's interesting because we, as a company, enable in many ways people to work remotely and work from anywhere with some of our technology. But equally, I think remote working is a must nowadays but you can't beat the human interaction of coming together and mm. so having a fabulous office space with great roof terrace in this building we have a great coffee bar as a basketball court gym yes. um, I think that just engenders great human interpersonal dynamics and you can build relationships so then when you are working remotely and you're on a video conference with someone you've still got some of those human connections yeah it is interesting because you are in the business of remote working so um, I, I remember I interviewed uh, Dave Almeter at Kronos, and they're in the business of tracking time, and they were going with unlimited vacation mm-hmm. policy. So mm-hmm. I just thought that was ironic, and this is maybe not ironic, but it just it's interwoven. What you do is really connected to how you operate as a company. That's right, and I think it it doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, right. You know, for some people, you you will only work remotely depending where you're based. If you're right. not near an office, but I think having that opportunity to yeah, I think building relationships is ideally best done in person. Yes. Um, but it's not always possible. And I think if whether you're coming from a financial perspective of minimizing travel spend or even an environmental perspective of being a little green and maybe not, not traveling on airplanes as mm. much as um, you might like to, having collaboration technology, having video conferencing technology, it's just a great way to stay in touch mm-hmm. with your colleagues, with customers and to reach people all over the world no matter where they're physically located. Right. Speaking of all over the world... Uh, doesn't sound like you have a Boston accent. That's uh, correct. <laughs> um, and you've uh, made some stops in the United States, too. Can you talk a little bit about your background and uh, what kind of got you going down this path? Sure. So um, just geographically speaking, I grew up in the UK and um, worked the early part of my career in a number of companies, British Telecom and others, uh, Stavely Industries, that were global companies but based out of the UK. And that's why I really developed an interest in, I mean, I've always had a passion for travel. My parents are big travelers, so I like exploring different parts of the world. And I'd always thought that I might work in another country one day. Oh. Um, I was with a company called Informatica, and they gave me the opportunity to move to California. So back in 2002, I moved to the West Coast from the UK and from there took on a global HR leadership role, um, which and I've continued in that path. Mm. So from the West Coast, I moved just last summer to Boston, so I definitely don't have an accent. It's a (laughs) tough accent, actually. I I love hearing it, but I'm not sure I can master it just yet. Um, 
But in terms of what got me into HR, I um, I would love to tell you that I had this burning ambition from age 12 to be in HR, but I think I didn't really know what it was. I always ask this question to people when I interview them. Um, I don't think most people really know what HR is. That's probably less so nowadays, but let's go back 20 years ago. It was a very different mm-hmm. function, not as strategic, not as relevant, um, and not as valued, right. I'd say, by the business as it is now. Right, still the hangover of the, of the personnel. personnel. Right. right, exactly, yeah. exactly, where it was, somebody described it once as sort of tea and sympathy, um, and that's probably a very British explanation <laughs> yeah. for it, but yes. that was a little bit what, you know, go and talk to personnel, and they'll you know, give you a cup of tea and make everything better. Um, and it's just transformed massively, I'd say, in the last 15, 10 years absolutely um and so i got into it i did an economics degree at the university of nottingham um quite interested in business numbers and then i started to look at hr and thinking this could be something that's of interest to me and so it was funny i i did some traveling after university and when i came back i was temping and i asked the uh the agency if they could help me find um, work inside a, a personnel department, and it was really still called personnel back then. Um, and I was doing a, a postgrad in personnel and development. And so they called me one day and said, "Look, it was a Friday morning, and I hadn't I hadn't worked that week." And they said, "Oh, we have something in this company, and it's just for today." And I was in two minds as to whether you know, it was a Friday, it was just one day, shall I or shan't I? But I did. I went in, um, and it was fairly fairly basic um, sort of HR administrative work. Um, they asked me to come back the following week. Anyway, I ended up joining that company and staying for three years and working for one of the best bosses I've ever had. Ah. He was just great. And his view was, everything I do, you need to do, even if you're not interested in it, because this is how you learn. And so I just had this great exposure to all of the different aspects of personnel, of HR, including pensions. We had a number of manufacturing sites, so understanding how things worked Mm. in a corporate environment, in a salt manufacturing environment. Mm. The company made um, scales and weighing machines, the kind you'd have in your kitchen, and the kind that would weigh trains. It was just it was just such an wow, interesting Wow, that's quite a, a range of weights. It was, yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, and, and as you can imagine, right, very different kinds of um, jobs and people doing those different jobs in a corporate environment, in a large-scale manufacturing, making very large scales. Right. Um, so it was a really, really good introduction into really all aspects of HR, and that's what really piqued my interest. Yeah, and having that great leader, yes. boss, mentor yes. early in your career. I'm sure yes. that was a really key key thing. Yes, that made such a difference in, in what I could learn. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's gone from there, really. Um, you know, I'm curious, um, when you compare the UK and the West Coast of the United States, California, the technology environment there, with what you've experienced, I know you've only been here a short while, mm-hmm. eight months or so, how do you compare the different regions and how business is done or people strategy and, uh, and HR? Is there anything that comes to mind as you compare or contrast them? I think culturally, you know, the UK is different to the West Coast, is different to Boston. Um, so just the different cities, the different way that people operate. Um, but I think in terms of technology and talent, talent in tech, I'm not sure that there's a huge difference. Uh-huh. Um you know, at the end of the day, we're, most tech companies are in a war for talent, mm. no matter where you're fighting it. Um, whether you're fighting it on the West Coast, you're fighting it in the Boston market, there's mm. some great companies here. Yes. So a lot of opportunity for, for skilled technical people. Maybe you could update our listeners on what is LogMeIn today? What's the culture, the values? How the, Maybe a little bit about the evolution. Mm-hmm. We talked about the product and what you do. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can add to that as well. Sure. So just a little bit about the business. Sure. So LogMeIn from where it was... 
even five years ago is dramatically different. Um, two plus years ago, there was uh, a large merger with a division of Citrix that was spun out of all of their mobility, so people would know the GoToMeeting product. Um, so GoToMeeting, go to GoToWebinar, etc. There were a set of products that were being spun out of Citrix, um, and that division of Citrix ended up merging with LogMeIn. LogMeIn at the time, I'd say, was about a thousand employees, three hundred million in revenue. And essentially overnight, they onboarded 1,800 new employees from Citrix and so took on operations in new countries, um, nearly 2,000 new employees and about another 600 million in revenue. So that's, that helped form this top 10 SaaS company, right? Um, one of the few that's larger than a billion dollars. Mm. And we've continued to acquire since. Mm. So both growing organically and also growing inorganically. Mm. Last April, we acquired a company called Jive that do a lot of uh, voice technology. And so if you think about GoToMeeting and the video platform and the video technology, improving some of the voice services, it starts to get more technical than my, my skills can uh, can explain, <laughs> but PBX and um, some of the virtual phone systems and really bundling that together to create an amazing in-room experience. So you walk into a conference room, literally press a few buttons and you're connected to people around the world, cameras, audio, everything. Huh. Um, and then we're continuing to develop those pro- those products to do just more cool things that help you be more effective as you're doing meetings or taking notes, transcripts. You don't have to handwrite the notes of a ah. meeting, sharing those out with people. Um, it's interesting, actually, now that I've worked, everybody here uses their camera for every meeting they have. I don't think I could go back to just calling somebody on the phone. The things that you get from being able to see. Oh, really? Um, so you, it's more natural for you when you're so. in front of your laptop to bring up somebody's yes. face yes. and have a video? Yes. And it takes some getting used to because some people don't want to be on camera. Right. Um, especially if it's six, o'clock, outside of six the o'clock in the morning. Oh, right. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's high definition too, which I'm not sure is a product feature that we should, yeah. So sometimes I don't I know like some it. actors and actresses uh, don't appreciate that. Yes, exactly. I know. You're going to want to put something soft on the lens just to make it a little blurrier at six o'clock in the morning. But, um, but, you know, they say that communication is, what is it, sort of, there's, different percentages on the, the what you hear, what you see, mm. the cues you get from body language, and being able to see somebody. I mean, you can't be in the same room as them, but you can be virtually in the same room. And just all those cues you get of right. how engaged are they? Are they interested? Right. Um, if you imagined if you were interviewing somebody, would you just do it over the phone and hear a voice? Mm. And maybe there's someone whispering the answers or they've got all their notes versus seeing somebody react to a question and think about a question. And if there's one person remote... Um, maybe there's one person on the West Coast and then the other five people in the meeting are here in Boston. You know, the old days of a conference call, that one person would be dialed in mm. and not really feel that engaged. Right. Um, and so by having video and everybody being on video, it's it's the same experience for everybody. Yeah. And I think it you just almost raises. forget that that person isn't yeah, there. Absolutely. You know? But I just think the the, um, the quality of communication, the quality of engagement you get from using video conference versus just a phone um, phone conversation, I just think it's so much richer. Yes, absolutely. Oh, you wanted to talk about the culture of the company and the evolution yes. too. You started yes. to talk about the merger and everything. Talk, can you talk a little bit about what the values and the culture that you have here at LogMeIn? Sure. So I joined in late 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so about. And you were still on the West Coast when you joined. I was still yeah. on the West Coast, yes. Um, and the merger had happened maybe eight nine months before. Um, and so you know, you put these two large companies, one very large one medium size, you put them together, they've naturally got different cultures, different values, different ways of doing things. Mm. Um, 
the best way I've ever heard culture described as the smell of the place. Um, so I think it is very intangible, but you know if you like it and you know if you don't like it. Right. And um, there's not a good one and no, bad one. Not, not at all. They're all just individual. Right. Right. Yeah. right. And I think that's really important when you are looking at a company and make, making a decision about what company to join. Do you like the smell of the place? Mm. Does it work for you? Will you fit in there? Will people have similar beliefs and norms to yours? How do we make sure we hire and ask questions that will ascertain, uh, is this person going to be a good cultural fit? Mm -hmm. Um, Will they enjoy working here? Because Mm -hmm. that's a two-way decision. Um, That's why I'd encourage anybody who's interviewing for a job to try and look inside a company, look inside the culture and see, does this align with my core values, my personal beliefs. Mm. We are um, about collaboration in our technology and we're also about collaboration as a company. So mm. I think we, we believe in the collective power of we mm. and people getting things done as a team as versus a team, yeah. as individuals. So we hire against our values. We have very specific, almost competency-based questions that will help screen mm-hmm. um, good cultural fit. Even when we look at acquisitions, because I think that's the hardest time to enforce your culture. Because it's not going to be the same culture no matter who you're buying. It's going to be different, right? That's right. That's right. And generally, you're buying IP technology and Mm. talent. And so... It's a strategic decision, right? It is. And so if HR come along and say, well, I'm not sure it's going to be a great cultural (laughs) fit, it's rare that the CEO will say, oh, okay, fine. We won't buy them. We'll go look at something else. Um, Because you're running a business, so you need to really... um, Exactly. But... But understanding it and doing some kind of evaluation as you do your technical diligence and product diligence so that you can understand how big is this gap or where do we have some common areas that we can focus on um, growing together and and then just being very thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, I don't know, 90 something percent of mergers and acquisitions fail because of a lack of cultural integration. So it's something that's sort of bottom of the diligence list, Mm -hmm. but top in terms of success or failure. So we are pretty thoughtful about that. And we, um, on a a number of our recent acquisitions, we asked our senior leaders, as you're meeting with your counterparts and you're asking questions about the code or the product, just listen. Do you hear I or do you hear we? As I think about what drives engagement at work, I think people want to know what's expected of them. What is my role? Mm. And also, how does my role connect to the company goals? So what part am I playing in our success? And am I aligned to it? Because if you've got, you know, 3,500 people all doing... Right. You know, working on a slightly different direction, we really should be all going in the same direction. So mm. understanding your role, understanding how it fits with the bigger picture, mm. um, and then just being clear on the expectations. I think that goes a long way to engagement, and mm. I think engagement does lead to higher performance. How do you train it. managers or develop their skills in coaching? I think the frontline management role is the toughest job in the company. Um, and so we have put a lot of effort into building out management development programs that will help with setting goals even you know what does a smart goal look like Mm. can you change a goal partway through the year what does that mean um how do you have those conversations with your employee um are stretch goals okay here yeah there are stretch goals too it's Um, both yeah it's both we have development goals as well that we ask people to set so it's not just business goals but Mm. think about Maybe what one or two things do you want to achieve? I I do think employees own their career development, but managers are obviously a key part of making it happen. Mm. Um, So we ask employees to set both business goals and personal development goals. Uh, There's two people I know about here. One I worked with, Susan Treadway worked at Keystone, and she told me that you're um, such a business-focused HR leader, people strategy leader. What does that mean to you? You Yeah, we talked about how much HR has transformed and whether that means the amount of HR technology offerings that are available on the market, 
the amount of budgets that HR departments might have now versus what they might have had 10 or 20 mm-hmm. years ago. That to me is, is an indication of the growth of HR as a strategic function. And partly is if you think about where industries come from and where it's going, most industries, many industries are service industries. So you don't, you're not in manufacturing. You think about the primary industries of shipbuilding and mining, and then we move to manufacturing. We don't have any assets as a company. Mm. We just have what's in our employees' heads. Mm. Right? That's how great product gets built. Right, it's a virtual tool usually, right? It's not a lot of, right, it's right. software. Yes. Right. yes, yes, and then you download it. So we're not even shipping keys out to people or product or disks. It's... I mean, it's a very different world. If you think about insurance, if you think about a lot of professional services. Right. There's no trucks. There's no... no right. There's no raw materials. Right. And there's no assets, per se, no hard assets. We probably don't own all of our buildings. Maybe right. you lease the buildings. Right. It's all IP, right? It's, right. Yeah. So if you think about the most important asset or the only asset, it's your human capital. Mm. And if you want to be really fiscally minded and financially minded, the most expensive cost on the balance sheet is your people um, because you don't have you know costs of raw materials or you know the facilities and the manufacturing plants etc so why wouldn't you be really thoughtful about how you invest in that asset and right. what return you get from it right. um, so I think whether you come at it from a very more of a soft people-minded approach or if you come at it from a hard financial approach either way it brings you back to you know the largest cost on your balance sheet is your people mm-hmm. and so I believe very much in in measuring, managing, um, and that means good metrics, it means data, and it means aligning the, the effort, if you like, of that human capital towards your business goals. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's funny, a while ago we would talk about employee satisfaction, and I think one day maybe the light bulb came on for somebody saying, well, a, a group of very satisfied employees, that's nice, but is it actually giving you good business results? So we shift a little bit more and we talk about engagement because there is you know, quite direct correlation between engagement and high productivity. Right. If people are getting what they want out of work and their work effort is aligned with what you want, what's company success, um, you put those two together, you're really getting a high-performing, right. high-producing company. The other person I know about here that I haven't met is Benny. Yes. Benny's on your HR team. She is, yes. Benny is the newest member of the HR team and she is a chatbot. LogMeIn has um, a product called Bold360 AI, which um, is a, an AI product that helps you think about a 360 um, view. It's, it's a lot of um, people talk about digital, digital transformation, and but getting a, a full view of your customer, thinking about when somebody calls into a service center, understanding kind of all the transactions and interactions they may have with your products. But we, we take Benny um, or the, the chatbot inside. So if you think about, um, what if you go online to book a flight, there's a little chat window that pops up saying, can I help you? Yes. More often than not, that's not a human being behind it. There's a chatbot behind it. Um, so look, I, I think we talked a little bit about employee engagement. And one of the things that I think um, we have a very high population of millennials in our workforce. So the way that people engage and access information, I think has really changed. And there's some stats around how much time employees spend within a company trying to find the information they need and just what a drain on productivity is and it's just these points of friction that you have in the in your day at work mm. and so part of it is trying to remove those friction points and part of it is trying to serve up information in a more helpful modern way and so this is where Benny was created um, we have an ask HR team that Susan manages where people can reach out and ask is Martin Luther King Day a company holiday it could be that or when I enroll for my benefits 
How should I think about a high deductible plan? I mean, all sorts of questions that Mm -hmm. people have. Now, I'll be honest, pretty much all of that information exists somewhere on the company intranet site. Right. But sometimes it's not that easy to find, and sometimes people don't want to have to go and look. (laughs) They just want to ask the question and get the answer (laughs) served up. Right, right. So that's where Benny came in. So when we were um, going into the um, open enrollment, so we launched her in the US, but it's a set of complex choices that you make for yourself and or your family on, do I want the high deductible plan? Do I want the more expensive dental plan? Sure. Because maybe I have a child that might want braces this year. There's all these different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we always get a lot of questions at that time of year. So we decided that we would launch Benny ahead of open enrollment. That's really why her name was Benny, for benefits. Um, And Susan's team spent a lot of time training Benny. I think they built a a catalogue of maybe 300 questions and answers. And they taught Benny. And then people started interacting. And the beauty of AI is if um, you asked a question and Benny didn't know the answer, you could do real-time programming behind the scenes to teach Benny that answer. So if the next person asked that question, she would then have the answer. And we built it out in Slack so people could engage with Benny. And then there was a little, did this answer your question or not? Would you like to escalate it? And it went straight to one of the Ask HR team. If people had very complex questions Mm. that Benny, she's good, but maybe not that good. Um, And so in the first week that we launched Benny, we had 2,000 questions come in and she took 1,500 of them. Wow. And responded. And how much time? I'm yes. sure you've measured it. How much time that Absolutely. saved your group. Absolutely. Wow. So they could they could focus in on the more, I mean, it's higher value work, but it's yeah. also where people do have a more complicated situation or they want some personal advice, the team could really engage one-on-one. And the, the kind of the, the standard questions, but as I say, that information's out there somewhere, but people don't want to have to go and look. Mm. She could just deliver that up. And Benny doesn't take breaks or vacations. And now it's more than just benefits. It's really, your, yes, it because, sounds like you starting to add a lot of things people would ask HR. Yes, when we launched our end of year performance coaching, um, that kind of wrap up at the end of the year and then going into goal setting, which Mm. we talked about, Mm. we taught Benny a lot of those questions so that, again, people could ask, you know, how do I set a SMART goal? What is a SMART goal? Mm. And Benny could serve up the answer. And it's fun for the HR operations team to be doing something a little bit more cutting edge because often that part of HR is back office, behind the scenes. I mean, they're keeping the engine running. Mm. But to be, they're doing reference calls now because there's interest out there for other customers Mm -hmm. to use Benny, to use the the product in the same way that we've used it. Mm -hmm. So for HR to be a little bit more of a revenue generating potentially, right, sales leads and references, that's also been a really fun thing for the team. Wow, that's cool. What else are you proud of, of what you and your team has accomplished here at Logman? You've shared a lot already, but is there anything else we haven't covered that you're really proud of what you're doing or what you're planning to do? So I, I mean, I'm just proud of the team. I have an amazing team. Um, they, you know, as we've as we've put the two companies together. If I go back to the merger and everything that's happened since, we've really had to build a foundation in HR. There was not a common bonus program. There was no goal setting. Just all these things that you might take for granted and assume that a billion dollar company has in place. They were not either in place or consistently in place. Mm. So we spent a lot of time when I first came on board talking about the foundation, like we're building a house and the plumbing is broken, the basement pipes. It's not that fun, but you absolutely have to have that foundation working well before you can start building out the next floor. Um, And while it was tempting to think about converting the attic and having a, you know, let's have a cool recognition platform. My guys, if we're not even setting goals and doing the basics, Uh, um, performance coaching, that really wasn't in place consistently. mm. So that's where the team have been great. They really spent the time, first 18 months, making sure that the basement and the ground floor are in fantastic shape Mm. and a really solid foundation. And now we're starting to get to 
Benny or thinking more about future talent calibration, how we can really build this amazing leadership pipeline of talent, Uh. how we can build an engine um, and become known as the place to work because how we hire is very thoughtful. We're, We're exploring an idea right now of doing a masterclass accrediting people in being super qualified in hiring. Wow. Which I think is a great skill for heard, them to take. I haven't heard of any companies doing that. That's amazing. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. So now we're getting into the fun, cool stuff. Yeah. Um, but I appreciate the team's patience. We deliver this podcast, Keystone does, in cooperation with the Northeast Human Resources Association. And we have the nearer young professionals question of the podcast every single time. And Sarah Dumont, the producer of the podcast, is on the YP committee at NERA. And she has the question for you. Joe, the question from for Nero YP today is from Bethany Fors, who is the Inclusion and Diversity Lead at the Hanover Insurance Group. And her question is, how do you believe HR professionals can show their value to the business and be seen as a true strategic partner? But what I think she's really trying to dig at is, what should HR be doing as a strategic partner in the business and what should they not be doing? I'm not sure there's many things I would, I would call out and say, don't do these things, but does it have an impact on the business? That's a great way to start and say, shall I spend my time on this or this? Will it drive the business forward? Will it help with a higher productivity, higher engagement, more revenue? Will it help save costs? Will it help people feel more engaged? I think those are the things to think about, applying a filter. So sometimes I think you have to be thoughtful about where you spend your time and what's gonna have the biggest impact on the business. So I think tying it back to the business knowing your business very well. I think all HR folks should have as deep an understanding of the business as you might assume somebody in marketing or sales or product would. And so we spend time as an HR group um, listening to updates from our business leaders and making sure that we've got that business acumen. Then I think you're having very credible and relevant conversations with your leaders around, you know, of of course the conversation starts with talent and thinking about whether it's designing your organization or growing a leader or thinking about the right skill set for a particular role, but being able to tie it back to how will this impact success from a business perspective. All right. So uh, this is a question I ask every guest. If you could write a letter of career or professional advice to Joe when you're 30 years old, if you could get a letter back to yourself when you were 30, what would that letter of advice say in it? Do you know, I think it would be around having more confidence and conviction you know I've got to a point where I'm very comfortable thinking I'm the expert in the room not if I'm in a room full of HR folks then not at all but but you know in a business environment yeah um what I do is people and it's something I love I'm just very lucky that I found a career that I get so much satisfaction from but probably when I was a bit younger then maybe just less confidence to mm. to speak up to offer up an opinion more mm. often than not I think, but well, doesn't that just come with time and experience like yeah so you would try to get this message back to yourself and say even if you're not sure take a chance yes because you could just say well just trust me there'll be a point where you're old enough and wise enough to know it but wouldn't it be nice to accelerate that journey Ah. and just to think what's the worst that would happen if you asked that question right and most people then almost look at you with relief and go thank you for asking that (laughs) so yeah I think I agree confidence that of course that comes more with time um, and experience but taking that risk yes yes yeah what's the worst that would happen right I think is that perspective that might give you a bit more courage to step a little closer to the edge when I was 30 than I Mm. maybe did and the last question if you could go to dinner with any living person who would it be and why 
Well, if I could pick somebody who wasn't alive, um, I'd love, love to spend time with Winston Churchill. Ah, yes. There's been quite a few films, movies yes, recently. Yes, I've seen um, I think it was fantastic. Really, yeah. really interesting. Yes. And just that very short period yeah. where arguably a lot of things changed oh, and right. turned, turned the tide. If you didn't do what he did at the right time, Absolutely. the world would be very different. <clears throat> yes. And maybe not even the most popular or liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's... He was certainly very flawed as yes, a human. But... exactly. And, and I suspect that we'd like to think that great leadership means being popular and being liked. And I don't think it is. No. Um, I think it's about having that conviction and knowing what you need to do, no matter what it costs to maybe you and your personal brand, feeling, reputation, mm-hmm. friends. But just really fascinating character, I think. So yeah, that's probably that's who I'd like, to, um, I'd like to pick. Yeah. I know uh, Colin Powell was quoted as saying... Um, you know, sometimes great leadership means having to piss people off. Yes. It's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button. 